All right. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> you guys were just as good as the first service. How are you guys doing this morning? All right. Sounds good. I'm glad you guys could at least fake it and tell you that you're good. But for the rest of you guys who are here this morning, I am so glad you guys are here this morning because, uh, man, it is good to be back up here. I am going to be, uh, I get the honor of closing out our parable series. Pastor Mike comes back next week. He's bringing back Romans. So we're excited about what God's going to be doing through that series as well. Uh, but man, what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray because we need to pray. And I know you must be going, well, I thought Tobias just prayed. I go, I need to pray too. And so let's, let's pray and ask God for him to just, for his presence to be here, uh, for the challenge to be accepted when we leave here this morning as well. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, um, God, I thank you for the song that we just sung, Lord. God, I thank you for just those words, Lord, that you are the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, Lord, the light in the darkness. And so, Father, I just pray, Father, that as we come to you today, as we hear another story, Father God, uh, from people who have been suffering and have had to be challenged in their faith, that, God, that you would use their story to come alongside our story so that we can become part of your story. And so, God, we pray, Father God, as we talk about this parable, as we jump into your word, that, God, will there be something, Lord, that each one of us walks away with, with an understanding, knowing that you are worth it. That, God, that we come to church, Father God, not just so that we can check a box, Lord, that we, we come to this building, Lord, as a church, as a gathering of people, Father God, to come to an understanding of going, God, why am I sitting at this seat today? Why am I standing behind this podium today? That, God, may you would answer that question this morning. And so, God, we love you. God, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. So yeah, so we're going to be diving in. And so if you're one of those people who likes to kind of prepare where you're at, uh, if you want to open up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, we're going to be diving into that. Not in just, uh, actually, I'm going to say a few moments, but a few moments after that, that we're going to go do that. But first, I, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about more about a book called The Insanity of God. If you saw me preaching kind of, I think it was like six weeks ago, I talked about another story, Dimitri, and, and about his story. Well, today we're diving into into a different story about a young man named Stoyan. And, and so if you know a little bit about this book, the book is written by this gentleman named Nick Ripkin. And Nick Ripkin is a guy who is an author who was a missionary in Somalia. And when he was in Somalia, one of the things that he did, it was a predominantly Muslim country. And one of the things that he always wrote about, actually half the book, he kind of talks about this idea that he is constantly, uh, every time that he would lead somebody to Jesus, that he would discover that weeks in and weeks afterwards, that they would be killed for their faith. And so Nick would begin to struggle going, God, why should I keep doing this? That every time I am leading people to you, that they are dying. And he would have to write, he would begin to start writing this book called, and, and, and trying to ask this question, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Well, one day during a, a uh, an Easter morning that he actually would get up and his son would have, go into cardiac arrest. 
and would later die while he is being a missionary in Africa and it wrecked him after that. And so he came home and through a bunch of prayer and people kind of encouraging him to try to figure out what was his calling, is Jesus worth it? He would then go out to multiple nations who were under persecution for their faith and he would begin to start asking them this question. He would ask him this, tell me your story. Tell me a little bit about it. Because what he was trying to do internally was ask the question, is Jesus worth it? And so we arrive today to this story about Stoyan. And Stoyan is this, actually when this had occurred, he was just a 12-year-old boy telling the story about his parents in persecution. Stoyan means stand firm or stay and as, as, as he began to start sharing it, this story takes place just after World War II in Eastern Europe and the Communist Party is beginning to consolidate power. And what they are doing is they are beginning to oppress anybody who says that they are a Christ follower what he would begin to start doing is they would begin to oppress them. And so when Stoyan was 12 years old, they imprisoned his father for 12 years. But for the first nine months of his imprisonment in the local jail, and in what they would kind of later refer to it as a torture facility, it says that there would be a guard every single morning, and for nine months, this guard would put his human waste on toast and feed it to Stoyan's father every single morning for nine months. And I don't know why I do this, but I busted out my calculator and I started to realize that that was over 270 human waste sandwiches that he was fed every single day. Well, his father, Stoyan's father, reported that the emotional and psychological impact on this persecution was even worse and left deeper scars than anything of any type of physical mistreatment that he would have ever had. But after nine months, Stoyan's family would get word that his father was going to be, their father was going to be transferred to now a labor camp in a different city. And what they did is they told the family, hey, you're going to have one hour to visit with your fa father before we send him out to this labor camp. And so, when and so what happened was, is as they were going to get ready to say their goodbyes, um, they would go and visit this torture facility and as they were waiting for their father to come out for their final greeting with, with not knowing how long they were going to be able to say hello to him again, what happened was is that they said that he, he comes out, he was, it was about five, 10 minutes, it doesn't show up. A few more minutes, it doesn't show up. And it says it was almost until the final hour that another prisoner had to go and grab their father and come out. And it said that they brought out this bundle of rags and they would lay him on the table in front of his family. And Stoyan would say, he remembers that the only way that he could recognize his father was by his blue eyes. And he says that he would grab his hand and put it to his face. And he says, Papa, I am so proud of you. Stoyan's mother knew exactly what her husband wanted most. And so what she did was she grabbed a pocket-sized Bible and slipped it underneath his hat, thinking that nobody would see it. But the jailer saw what was done, and he rushed over, and he took the Bible, and he threw the Bible onto the ground, and he, and he just said, in furious, he's yelling at his mother, and this is what he says to her. He says, woman, 
Don't you realize that it's because of this book and because of your God that your husband is here? I can kill him. I can kill you. And I can kill your son and I would be applauded for it. So Stoyan's mother's response challenged me when I read this book. It challenged me and my prayer is this morning that it challenges you because there is something that as a Christ follower, I think most of us would go, I'm so sorry, I did not do this. But this is what his mother said back to the guard. He said, sir, she said, sir, you are right. You can kill my husband and you can kill me. And I know you can even kill my son. And then she paraphrases Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, and she says, but nothing you can do will separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. Do you guys hear that this morning? You can kill me. You can kill him. You can kill my son, but you are not going to separate me from my God. And I don't know, and and this is probably the heaviest part, is that the story is not even done yet. It says that after Stoyan's dad dad was taken to the gulag, it said that, that, that in one night, Stoyan and his family all heard a knock on the door. And there was this police that were basically saying, you have one hour to pack two suitcases per person. And what you're going to do is you're now going to have to be taken to a gypsy village somewhere outside of the country. You're not going to know where you're going to go, but you got to get on the train and you have one hour to do so. And so Stoyan, 12 years old, and his, and his mother, and also their three other siblings, you have to go and pack and get onto this train. Well, some of the questions that Stoyan's siblings began to ask their mother began to start getting harder and harder to answer. Stoyan says some of the questions they had for their mother was this, what's going to happen to our house, mama? Where are we going to live now? How will Papa know where we are? What are we going to do? And what's going to happen to us? But Stoyan's mother had no response other than to do this. She tells her children, God will have to provide, little ones. And then it says that she began to start singing hymns to her children as they would go on this long train ride somewhere that she had no idea where they were going to go. The story continues, and it says as she was on this train ride going to this place that she was not going to go, that there was a group of Christ followers in a church in the location where they were heading. And it says that as they were praying and talking with God, And again, I don't know how these things happen. It says that the man says our church was meeting and and, and what happened, actually, this is what happens. I'm sorry, what happens is he goes and there's this guy that meets Stoyan's family at the end of the train. And he asks this question of Stoyan's mom. Are you the family of the pastor that was just put into prison? And as mom lightly said, yes, then this is what the man said to her. Our church was meeting last night. And during our prayers, the Holy Spirit told us, take an offering. And then they said for me to bring it to the train and find this pastor and to give you an escort to your new home. 
And then what he does is he goes and he hands her this bag full of money and says, this is six months worth. And when it runs out, we will bring some more. Stoyan's mother did not know what was going to happen at the end of that train. But what she did know to tell her children with all of those questions in their minds was to simply ask, God will have to provide. Well, nearly 10,000 political prisoners died while Stoyan was in that prison over those 10 difficult years. But one day, the guards decided they were going to go ahead and take Stoyan out into the yard, and they were going to go ahead and tie his hands behind a pole, and they were going to go ahead and ask him and give him one more opportunity for him to deny his faith. And they said if he didn't do that, that they were going to go ahead and execute him. Well, as he was attached to the pole, he said, it says that he stood, he kept, he straightened out his back and he stood tall and he used these words, I will not deny Christ. How often are we faced with that question today? And maybe the hard part is, is that maybe we're faced, maybe not attached to a pole and being threatened to be killed. But I believe it still happens today in our own faith, in our own work, in our jobs, in our, what we do, maybe as students, you're faced with it and saying, are you a follower of Christ? And you have to ask that deep question. Take a deep breath because it gets deeper. As they take him and they say, they disconnected him from the pole, they actually led him to the gate and they released him because they actually didn't have the authority to kill him. They were just trying to give him one more opportunity. And by him standing up for his faith, they just kicked him out and said, now go home. Well, obviously we know that Stoyan's father didn't know where his home was, but what he did eventually find is a way, a pathway to the train, out to the country. And you know what Stoyan's father did once he arrived there? He went back to being a pastor. And I love that picture that as he's going back and he's, as he's going and he's pastoring and now a few months later, an elderly woman asks this pastor for help. She says that she needs help for her middle-aged son who recently had gone blind and now was close to death. And he says that he needed medication because he was unable to get the pain meds that he needed because, now get this, because he was a Christ follower. And so she wanted to ask the pastor, can you bring this to me, son, to my son? And so Stoyan's father was able to get medication for her son. But when he went to her home to give the medication to him, he got the shock of his life. It says in this book, he says that the blind, invalid, middle-aged man lying helpless in the bed before him was the prison guard who had spread the human waste on the pastor's breakfast toast every single morning for nine months. And so it said Stoyan's father's response was this, die. No, just kidding. I had to lighten the mode for a moment. <laughs> I have some toast for you. Oh. 
Sorry, that did not make it into my notes. Sorry about that. Stoyan's father's response was this. Oh Lord, do not let me fail you now. Capture that? Oh Lord, do not let me fail you now. He had every right, at least our books, to go, you fed me your human waste for nine months, 270, and if you remember from last week's message, scubula sandwiches. And now I am here before you as you're dying. But I want you to picture this, church. The reason why he couldn't get his medication is why? Is because what? He was a Christ follower. Maybe for those nine months that he would remember 10 years ago that there was a guy who would not deny his faith. And now he is in this village where this man now lives and now is receiving the pain medication. And it says, further he says, without denying himself, without identifying himself or saying anything that might give away this connection, the pastor granted his former, his former tormentor forgiveness in his own heart. And he helped the old woman administer the medication to relieve the pain. And he prayed for her son. And then he returned home. And this is what I want to make sure that we grasp today, the church. He returned home awed by a new and deeper understanding of God's grace. In fact, he was so overwhelmed by God's grace that the experience not only changed his life, but it also changed the lives of his family members. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to ask four questions. And I want to prepare you because each question gets harder. And I know you're wondering, oh my gosh, is, are we not at the end of this message and can we just go now? I get it. But we have to ask four questions here this morning. And my first question for you is this. Does our personal Christ follower job description match the Bible, biblical Christ follower job description that we read in the scriptures. So when we are living out our lives, if we are referring to ourselves as a Christ follower, that when, when we read the scripture, which we're about to do in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, we have to ask this question. Does my job description match what the Bible says I should do as well? And so when we read this story, as we read part of this passage, Luke, the author, the gospel of Luke, the author, he is speaking to what, are, what we refer to as, the Bible knows as Gentiles. And if you are not a Jew, you are a Gentile. If you're a Jew, then you are a Jew. And then, but what happens is as the author is talking, he is referring to anybody who is reading this, he's speaking to us this morning. In Luke chapter 6, you know maybe on Matthew you have the Sermon on the Mount, but this is also known as the Sermon on the Plain because what's happening is he's speaking in a level area and what he is doing is he is speaking to people who want to know more about how to follow him. And so that is where we pick up in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, and we're going to be reading to verse 38. And I want you just to picture Stoyan's story as we read this, because I don't need to further explain this. And he says, and in your job description, it first says in verse 27, 
but I tell you who hear me. What is Jesus basically trying to say? Are we prepared to hear what we're about to hear today? I don't know if as any parents here have ever had to explain anything to a kid before. You're like, do you hear me? Do you hear me, students? You hear me? You're right. You hear this over again? But the reality is, is that Jesus is not just talking to teenagers. He's talking to all of us. And he's asking this question, do you hear me? And then he goes in for our job description here this morning. It says, love your enemies. Do good to those who what? Hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who what? Mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, what? Turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what, does not, takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. And then he goes in again to this job description. But love your... I know it's hard. You're like, Chris, I don't want to say that. I don't want that job description. But we're reading God's word. His word has been inspired and it's supposed to be written to talk to specifically to those who are listening. My question for you is, are we listening? But love your... Yeah, you said it reluctantly. Love your enemies... Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then, though, this is part of your job description, but we're going to clarify this a little bit. It goes, then your reward will be great. And you're like, yes, I'm finally going to get the house, the job, the car. It goes, then your reward will be great. And your sons, and you will be sons of what? The most high because he is kind. And, uh, and, and it goes, because he is kind to the what? Ungrateful. That's hard. He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. But then he also reminds him, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Oh, the job description doesn't end there. He says in a couple more verses, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. For a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And so now, as we are starting to read from the Gospel of Luke, and he's telling us, church, he's telling us if you are referenced as a Christ follower in this room, he is telling you your job description our job description, my job description, Stoyan's job description, Stoyan's father's job description, because what he is telling you is that when you follow your job description, people's lives change. 
your life changes. And I'm telling you that it is not easy because when I hear this idea of loving your enemies or doing good to those who hate you, the reality is we're supposed to just go ahead and tell people we cancel people who hate you, right? We also tell people saying we need to bless those who curse you. So as you are yelling at me, I am supposed to say, oh, bless you. But when we hear it in the stories of like Stoyan or Dimitri or what actually when you start hearing about it from missionaries on the field, but the reality is, is that we are all missionaries in our own field as well. And then when we hear something, when somebody says, when somebody takes something for you, you're not supposed to demand it back. I got my tailgate stolen a week and a half ago. And I'm telling you, if I ever got a chance to meet that person who stole my tailgate, because all my neighbors have video of that person, I would love to say, I have a breakfast sandwich for you. <laughs> but the real answer needs to be saying, Chris, is that even matter right now? Is your faith the most important thing that we need to do? And that is when we begin to start understanding, when we hear stories like Stoyan and giving it about his parents, and he's trying to help us understand why we need to understand our job description, then Stoyan later in that chapter actually says this phrase, and I, and I had to sit on this for a little bit, and I hope we can sit on this as well. And again, I, and, and I want us to make sure we understand this. Stoyan basically later says, he goes, he was convinced that people flocked to Christ in greater numbers during difficult days of persecution because that's when we, when they could, they could recognize how God sustains and strengthens his followers through times of trouble. That's hard to hear. I'm not sure if you've ever had this moment where when we hear words like, or phrases like, we need to pray for our country. Have you ever prayed for our country? Anybody know the election, you know, around the circle? God, pray for whoever you're going to put there. God, have you ever prayed for your city, your elected officials? Have you ever prayed for your boss? I need a raise, right? You know, I got to pray for him. But the reality is this, is that when we are praying and asking God to intervene, when we're asking God to do something amazing, do we incorporate the idea that it may potentially include persecution? That in our prayers, as we're saying, God, change this place, that it may happen that as you as a Christ follower may involve suffering for your faith. And that people will come to know you because of your suffering. And then in our job description, now you're going, I don't know if I want that job description, right? I don't know it, but the reality is, is that if we can answer the question, is he worth it? Then we can say, well, I don't want it, God, but if this is what you want me to go through, then I will do so. On my son's grave placard, after he died at his service, 13 people gave their lives to Jesus. Would I want those 13 people to not have Jesus because of my son? When I was praying as a student, when I gave my life to Christ, and my parents at that time were not Christ followers, and I was, as my dad would be yelling at me, and I would just go to prayer because that's all I heard I needed to do. 
was my dad would hit me in the back of the head and say, stop praying, which would then drive me to just keep on wanting to go to God. But what it also did is it drove me to a God that I knew was going to meet me in my pain and in my suffering and in all those areas where I started to recognize and saying, God, you don't want me to do things easy. I just want to do things for you. And no matter what that means, I am willing to go through it. And I'm telling you, church, I'm saying this not like I'm going, oh yeah, I want the next moment of suffering to happen. Oh, this is awesome. But what I am saying is this, if it's going to point me to more people so that I can tell them about what God has done in my life, so that I can point them that maybe they can have the hope in their life, then the reality is, is I, my job description tells me I need to do that. And here's the hard part. We get to now go to question two. We're almost there. Question two is this. Should we have any lower goal for ourselves than to be like Jesus? We're going to read two more verses in Luke chapter 6, verses 39 and 40. And it's a reminder, a little bit of what his goal for us. And now we're entering into the parable that we're going to get. And I know you must be thinking, man, Chris, you preach slow. But I'm telling you what Mike says, you listen slower. He says in verse 39, he also told them this parable. So one, he gives them this job description. And then he says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not fall into a pit? And then he goes, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And what basically Jesus is trying to tell them is this. And, and as we take the reference of Stoyan's story is that we can recognize that Stoyan's father's impact on his son and on his family made a lasting impact. What he was willing to do for 10 years in that prison was showing to his son that your faith matters. What he was doing when he chose not to give up himself, even though he had to take that human waste sandwich for nine straight months, he was saying that my faith is even greater than the disgusting thing that someone has done to me and in my life. But Stoyan was also able to recognize the miracles that happened in his life. The, the miracles of how God would speak to a group of people not knowing who they were that would soon begin to start providing for his family six months at a time for 10 years until their father came home. He would then begin to start remembering that when his father saw his torturer in front of him, he didn't identify himself and then critique the guy and yell at him that the only thing he remembered his father saying was, Lord, do not let me fail you now. Everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. And what Jesus is trying to remind us today as we go to his word, as we read that job description, that we need to understand that when he gives us the job description, he also equips us for his job description. And that whatever it means or whatever we need to do to get there, we need to surrender that to God and say, God, I am willing and I am able. And I know it's going to come at a great cost. 
So let's be a little lighthearted for a moment so we can enjoy the process of what discipleship maybe a journey, a, a journey discipleship looks like. I want to introduce you to an amazing little boy. He's not here because it would be pretty crazy for me to bring him up on stage. We never get this thing done. But his name is Chucky. And Chucky is spelled with two eyes. I call him Chucky Two Eyes. And uh, I want to let you know that I, I got permission from his parents to share this story because uh, Chucky was one of, of uh, three of the foster kids that we used to watch for five, off and on for five years. Not him because he's only two and a half. He came later on. But we had this blessing to watch him as a foster child. But also, uh, and over the last three months, uh, he's no longer our foster child. He is actually one of my friend's sons that I get to watch. And over the last three months... While their family needed some help, um, Chucky started talking to me a little bit, which is kind of cool because when you have a conversation with a two-and-a-half-year-old, two uh, they say some pretty cool stuff. Uh, but when he was just 10 months old, I remember I would every Thursday on my day off, I would go outside and I would mow the lawn, I would blow the patio, I would do all of my yard work and I can get it done in about like an hour, if, maybe an hour and a half if there's extra stuff in the fall and everything, but I would get all my work done and, and Chucky, two eyes, would be standing at the window and, and Chucky would actually go and he would, he would just kind of like put it and I would grab my blower and then he'd duck and like run away and, and we'd have this little game. But when I started to watch him as a friend's son, he started asking me a couple of questions. And now when I had to watch him on my own, my wife was working, my kid was at school or work, uh, he kept on saying, I wanted to go out and do the work and, and I couldn't do that because I had Chucky Two Eyes with me. Well, Chucky said, I want to do it. Can I try? And so then began this little journey of Chucky Two Eyes becoming one of my disciples. And so Chucky, I had to teach Chucky, if you want to actually mow the lawn, you have to have the right equipment. And so what we learned in the beginning, Chucky, uh, what we would do is actually the first time I mowed with Chucky, I realized that I have this little gap on my mower and then at his height, all the, all the grass starts hitting him on his face. <laughs> Trial and error, all right, I'm just saying. So what we do is we get him the glasses. Well, of course, he needs his gloves to be able to do that. We get him his hat. I put it forward. He wants to put it backwards. I'm like, I'm not going to argue with you. So we're going to go ahead and give him. He had the equipment. Check. Well, of course, and also we had to say, well, Chucky, before we go out and mow, we have to blow all the leaves into the grass. So he wants to help hold that blower with me. And so he's, as I'm holding that blower, he just simply, and again, he doesn't know what he's doing. All he's doing is he's putting his hand and he's kind of going like this as I'm going in the blowing and we're kind of going around and I'm trying to do it. But, but what's happening is that he's just holding on and going in there. Chucky is also a model, and so he wanted to model with the blower. And so you can see that he is modeling with that. He even does a little leg thing and kind of turns into it as well. And so once we were done with the mowing, we know, or with the blowing, we know we have to get the mower ready. And here's something what Chucky started to pick up. Chucky actually then started to realize that every time I pull the mower out, what do you do? You check for nobody else mow. There's only three people that mow, apparently. So you check for gas. And most of you are going, you have a gas? We don't even have electric? No, yes, I have a gas. All right. And so what happens is that you check for the gas. And Chucky actually started to realize once I would pull the mower out, he would actually already go to the gas and try to open up the gas cap. And sometimes he's strong enough, sometimes he's not, but he needs that help. 
Well, then after we get the gas going, of course, you have to start teaching them where do you put your hand placement on the mower. And I have to tell you, it's just one of those that you, you kind of, as you're going, you have to hold on to handle in order to keep moving. Once you let go, it, it, it kind of dies on you. And so you had to teach them the right placement. You also had to teach him where to actually put the mower. We don't mow on the rocks. We actually have to mow on the grass. And so he actually started learning, okay, this is where we start when the mower, again, that's him modeling and making sure he's good to go with that. Once he knew all of that, then he knew how to mow. And here's seven seconds of him mowing with me, not, not alone. Yeah, I just wanna make sure and throw that in case anyone reports me there. And so, and so there he is mowing. And I know you must be thinking, why are you filming this? Take care of the boy. He was good. I, I showed him what he needs to do. But then Chucky started to get a little bit uh, more inquisitive in what he was doing. Of course, halfway through, you got to empty the bag, right? And so as we were starting to empty the bag, the one thing I used to do is I would get my gloves and I would just kind of wipe away all the extra grass so that way I can remow it and kind of get it back into the bags. But this is what Chucky began to do. Chucky would not only start to want to help me dump the bag, but now once he saw that he wanted me to clean it, he actually wanted to get like, like in the mower to help me like pull out every single thing. And there's this other picture that he wanted to get inside there. And what he would do is he would bend down and then what I would do, I would just wipe it quickly and it would take me a few seconds. But what Chucky wanted to do, because I showed him that you needed to clean it, what his version of clean and my version of clean was different. He wanted to pick every single piece of grass out of that little connection before he wanted me to put the bag back. My one hour project... <laughs> began to start taking two hours, three hours, four hours. But what he started doing, he started showing me my faults by me not wanting to have all those clean areas and saying, let me show you how to do some of these things. And of course, once you're done mowing, you got to do some raking. And so, of course, he wanted the big rake. You know, I got the little rake involved with that. Um, and then, of course, after that, you know, when we're completing the grass and then he has to take his union break. And so once he takes his union break, you got to make sure he gets his drink. He's, he's actually pretty tired. And man, he gets red quick uh, during that time frame. And then of course, after he's done and the job is all done, he gets to experience a little bit of a reward at the end by being able to jump in the pool. But I want to give you some observations from discipling Chucky Two Eyes. A disciple journey is slow. I could have easily waited for him to go home and then on Saturday morning, I could knock it out in an hour. But what I saw was a little boy who just said, I can do it. I want, I want to help. And the other part is that in that discipleship journey, it requires someone to take the time to explain every single time, every slow part. This is a gas, all right, this is a gas cap. Oh, hey, we don't put our hands in there while it's running. You know, it's like we're trying to go through all of this part, but we have to take time to explain how things get done. Another part of the discipleship journey requires us to maybe have someone experience. I have been mowing for a long time, and so I was qualified to be able to show Chucky how to mow. 
and do other areas. He also, man, I, I'm telling you, I was fearful, but I had my little hand snippers and we we're doing some clippings. I, I want to try. And I'm like, oh man, don't lose a finger, you know, and I'm sure we're showing him all of these other areas. And in our discipling journey, it can also reveal some glaring areas even in our own discipling. Another lesson is that just in our discipleship journey is it develops a new disciple. It was pretty cool. His mom just yesterday texted me a couple of pictures and I don't have them up here because it's kind of grainy, but she showed me this video of him now vacuuming inside the house by himself. And it's like this, it's like, you know, it's kind of going, he's probably missed every single bit of the dust. But the reality is, is that he is doing it. And then when his mom said he needed to be done, he started like, no, I'm not done yet. And so what he does is that, so she took off the hose and then there's this other picture of him like, like vacuuming inside the corners of all of the areas of the house. And, and I just sat back and I went, I taught him that. <laughs> no, his heart was already saying, I want to try and I can do it. But how many of us in a variety of different areas, maybe in our own faith journey. When we wanted to go and maybe we asked somebody, I wanna try, I wanna do it. Have we just been sat down? And from the church side of it, if the church has ever told you don't do it or you can't do it, I wanna apologize. Because what can happen is this, I don't ever want you to be stifled in whatever area God needs you to grow in in your discipleship journey. I don't want you to ever think this is the gift that God has given me and I can't use it. And so usually and typically when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I would like to do this. If you know me, I'm saying, okay, let's figure this thing out. Let's get, make this happen. But what I'm also saying is in saying, how do we disciple you in this journey? And maybe you have been in your journey for a while and you've been discipling people. But in that process, you're saying, I've done enough. I'm telling you, you're never done. There's always a Chucky two eyes wanting to be discipled. And so what happens in our journeys and in our job descriptions, because maybe even through your life as you are continuing and in your faith journeys and when you are sharing your stories and you're sharing your stories, stories of suffering, that that is when God really begins to start doing the work. And from the stories that I've read, one was 17 years when we saw 1,500 prisoners put their hands in there. Or we've also seen it to where God, it, over 10 years, would change a prison guard who would feed someone a feces sandwich to now where he needs the help of the person he tortured. But yet God changed them both. Don't worry, we're on the third question. We're almost done. Actually, you're not almost done. We walk away and God's, we're still walking with God. Question three. It's a long one because I couldn't figure out how to narrow it down. So I apologize. Are we willing to put in the hard work along the hard paths of our heart in the most difficult seasons of our lives to see the miraculous work of God's amazing grace? I think most of us want to see God's miracles. 
I love hearing about God's miracles. I love seeing what God does. But the reality is, is there's a lot of hard work internally that has to happen first if I get to be a part of those hardworking miracles. I have to have gone through some difficult things in my life to recognize, man, I can help come alongside somebody what they're going through. And maybe I can't because I go to the God who can. And that's where we bring up our last two verses and will lead us to our fourth question this morning. And it says this in Luke chapter six, verses 41 and 42. And this may be a familiar passage, a familiar parable with you, but my hope is that you will never look at it the same. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye and when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? And then it uses this Greek term, says you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. All right, so let's talk about this for a second. First of all, he uses this term, you hypocrite. A hypocrite was basically an actor. And, and what would happen is if you were a hypocrite, you'd come in saying, hey, we need a bunch of hypocrites to help us on stage. That's kind of weird because back in the day, you're like, hey, I'll, I'll be in, I'm a hypocrite. And now all of a sudden, now we're all like actors. Hello, my name is Chris and I'm a pastor and I play a pastor, right? And what happens is, is that the hypocrite would be playing something they were not. Right? We catching that? But then Jesus throws something out there. He talks about a log. Sorry, used to be in student ministry. So this is for student ministry. I got an example right here, guys. Then he talks about this. He goes, he goes how can you tell somebody that, you, that something is going wrong in their life when what? There is a log in your own eye. Well, what is this log? How did this log get here where now all of a sudden we're thinking that we can help someone else out? And I think as I'm looking at that passage and as I'm praying through that passage, and it happens to be right before we read this parable, is that maybe at some point in our discipling journey, that we forgot the job description. And that what happens is, is that we know what the Bible says. We know that we're supposed to love our enemies. We know that we're supposed to be able to say, hey, if you took somebody, it's okay. And what happens is this, when somebody does it wrong, we, we know the job description, but aren't living the job description. We are very good at pointing it out, saying, hey, do you know you're doing it wrong? Do you know that you're supposed to love your enemies? You know you're supposed to forgive me? You know you're supposed to be generous? You know you're supposed to be doing it and you can kind of just go through the job description over and over and over again, but the, everybody's kind of looking at you and you're going, uh, Chris, do you recognize that you have something sticking out of your eye? But how do we remove this? And you see, it's very easy in this passage to kind of missing, oh, this is all you have to do. Pop. And I can see, oh, look at that. I am so good. And now I can become a speck puller. Let me pull your speck. Let me pull your speck. Let me pull your speck. Right? That's not how it works. You see, the way, the only way to remove this from your eye is that we have to go to the inspired word of God. 
We refer to this as the living word because what happens is that the people that wrote it were inspired by the Holy Spirit to then have us read it 2,000 years later and it still makes sense. And what happens is that when we read it and we read our job description and when we read saying, I don't want to forgive somebody. But what we don't know is 10 years later, it might lead to that person who actually did the damage to our lives. But I don't know. But what I do know is that when we go to God's word and he talks about that we need to experience his grace and that maybe when we're tired and we're tired of working and then when we hear passages where it says, hey, I am the Sabbath, meaning, oh my gosh, it's not just a day, a, a trip to Australia that's going to get me rest, that actually I have to go to God's word and he is my rest. And then what begins to happen is that slowly this log begins to start coming out. And then what you do now is this. It, now it becomes this amazing part of your testimony. Because what happens is, is that if I were to tell you and that you were to come to church and somebody tells you, hi, how you doing? My name's Chris. I get angry all the time. Nice to meet you. Or somebody comes up to you and say, hey, hey, how you doing? My name's Chris. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm grieving a loss of a son. Nice to meet you. Or maybe you actually start going to someone and saying, hey, how you doing? My name is Chris and I have uh, control issues. Nice to meet you. Does that sound normal? Does it, I, I know you're kind of going, is this a trick question? Like, am I supposed to answer it? I would say that on a typical Sunday morning, that is probably not the normal response when you're talking with somebody. But what God is actually teaching us is this, is that when we can come to church and saying, hi, my name is Chris, and I am working in the areas of my life in grief and anger and anxiety and control. And now all of a sudden, this is how he is doing it. It becomes to take this refreshing step in saying, oh, I want to know a little bit more about you. And that's what our Celebrate Recovery program does. I've been in it for seven and a half years. They put me over it and I was like, oh man, I get to be a part of it. Now I'm like, oh gosh, I got I to do some self-examination. Oh dang, I got some issues in grief. Wow. Oh wait, I get angry. And my girls are like, yeah, I think he gets angry. Oh, he's got control issues. Yeah, I got two teenage girls. What do you expect? Right? Anxiety, all I have to say is COVID. Dang it, that was tough. But here's the thing, guys is that if we're not willing to go to God's word and he taught us how to really work on getting this through, now when we see a speck in somebody's eye, now we can go, let me pull it. No, no, what we do is saying, can I, can I show you? This is what God's word says to me and maybe he can speak to you. And let me teach you that maybe the speck is not my duty, but it's to God's duty to help you work through whatever that is. And what, what he does is he uses the church to help you come alongside and your journey, but here's the hard part. You have to be willing to do the hard work. You have to be willing to do the heart work as well, right? And then it leads us to the fourth question. And then we let you out and we'll see what you do. But the fourth question is this. It's the question that Nick Ripkin had to ask when he went out and said, is it worth is it worth it? It's a tough question to ask, but is Jesus worth it? You've heard some of the job description, and that was only one passage. There are thousands of them. 
But is Jesus worth following? Is Jesus worth denying yourself to follow him? The passages are there. Deny himself, pick up the cross, follow him, right? Maybe you're going, well, how come Jesus didn't have to suffer? <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. Jesus had to suffer, right? You're like going, this is even a pastor? Is he talking about Jesus suffering? Jesus suffered. And he says, if you want to be like him, guess what? Maybe part of that journey involves suffering. Maybe part of that journey involves taking a harder path than we want to be. And so how does that happen? Well, just like Chucky Two Eyes, there are groups of people here at this church that when you talk to Pastor Mike saying, Pastor Mike, what, 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 are, what are some of the greatest things that you could tell people that this church needs? And I will tell you, one, he really believes is driving people to God's word. That's why we go into Romans. Romans has been fantastic. And, and as he starts Romans next week, I'm excited about what Romans is going to look like again in, in, in our own lives as he starts back in chapter 6. But the other thing that he brought me here for seven and a half years ago was he also said it saying, hey, listen, we need to disciple more people. This church doesn't need to necessarily grow people-wise. We need to grow discipling-wise because if we continue to grow and understand our job description, God is going to do that naturally. And you see, we were faced with something very difficult as a church a few years ago, not to bring the COVID word back, but I'm like, I know you're getting that anxiety thing. Like, dang, why is he saying COVID? Stop saying COVID. And I keep saying COVID, sorry. But here's what it did. It exposed a lot of the fears in our lives. It exposed the fears of, am I going to die from a disease? Am I going to not talk to somebody because of fear of contracting that disease? And I will tell you that even as a pastor, I had to dig deep in saying, oh, they're saying time's up. Sorry about that. No. Uh, and, so, and so what happens is this, as a pastor, I had to go to God and say, God, what is my calling? And I had to look at my family and saying, if I get this and for whatever reason, if I die, I have to know that I was doing what I was called to do. And in the midst of those seasons, and when I was doing things as a chaplain, when I had to go into those emergency rooms with my cloth mask and their ventilator stuff on them, and I went, okay, God, is my faith worth it? Is Jesus worth it? So what we're going to talk about as we wrap it up here this afternoon is we're going to challenge you with this. There's going to be some people that are going to come up here. They're some of my closest friends. I call them life group facilitators. These are people who I know personally because I know that I have either walked with some in seeing, showing them my log in my own eye or helping them walk in their journey with their logs in their eyes. But there are people that want to help you work through whatever log or we'll say for some of you specs. You decide which one it is. We'll tell you if it's a really a log. It's probably a gigantic log and we're going to help you get through that. But it does have to start with the question, is Jesus worth it? Because you don't become, you don't join a group if you don't want to work on the stuff. Because when you go into a group, what you're saying is, is that I'm going, we're going to read God's word. The, the, the three things that we say qualify any life group here at the church is you have to know how to rap. And I know you're going, huh? You're like, not moment rap, but you have to know how to read God's word, know how to apply it in your life, 
and to pray. Read, apply, pray, wrap. And any life group that we do here, those are the three things that qualify as a life group. Well, why do we do that? Is because when we read God's word, he reveals the logs in our eyes. He helps us learn how to apply it. And then we pray saying, God, I don't know how this is gonna work, but I need your help. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna invite those life groups up here right now. And what we're gonna do, this is not a timeshare deal right now where you're going, oh my gosh, I gotta have to buy, am I hooked for life? Well, the reality is yes, you are hooked for life. If you wanna give your life to Jesus, you're hooked for life. But this one's free. And the freedom is this, is that when you choose to join a life group, and this is not a commitment, this is to get you information. I know I have to kind of clarify this. And I know you've been wondering, saying, has this been a sales pitch this entire sermon? No. But what I'm trying to show you is that there is groups of people who are saying, we want to come alongside you. And that maybe when we were talking about your job description or talking about the log that you've been holding, that maybe it's time where you're saying, I am ready to join a discipleship journey. I am ready to become Chucky Two Eyes to maybe one of these people here or including my group. But the reality is, is that don't walk away without saying, I'm ready to be a part of something. And there are groups here that represent just sermon-based life groups. There are groups here that represent very hard areas of habits through our celebrate recovery. But the reality is, is this, are you willing to do the work? Now, I know for some of you who are going, I can't go forward and write a name out because I want some interest. Here's the cool part, is that we've got this really cool QR code. You can get your phone out and just scan it and you can sign up right there. And it's just for your name and your information so we can send you when we start our enrollment season next week. But we're gonna have 50, 60 plus groups. Maybe you're sitting there and saying, maybe I can actually help disciple other people. And you're saying, it's time for me to be a facilitator. And I was a facilitator, but I'm letting everyone else do it. The reality is you're never done. We need more facilitators than ever because the world says we need more facilitators than ever. We need more people in life groups to say, I need Jesus. And here's your moment. It's time to do it. Now, here's another awkward part. I know I throw our church off sometimes, but we're all going to do this. And in the midst of it, our ushers are going to come forward and they have bags. And so there's people that are signing papers and there's people that are passing bags. And here's the cool part. We're going to let Jesus, I'm going to release my control and we're going to let Jesus do what he does best. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to challenge you. If you'd like to come forward and there's people with clipboards, there may be people walking around these areas. And if you would like to fill out that clipboard and saying, I need Jesus then come forward. These people, I'm going to challenge them and I'm just going to scare them right now. If you need prayer, even ask for prayer. And most of these people are going, I don't pray with people. It's time to pull your log out as well. So let's pray. Let's go to God and let's show them our gratitude. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this morning and now this afternoon. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your job description to us. We thank you for your love letter to us. God, we thank you, Lord, that God, you do not abandon us when we are in the valleys of the shadows of death because we will fear no evil because we walk with you. And so God, may we trust in you, the shepherd. God, may we trust, Father God, that this moment right now, that there are people in here who are saying, I... I, I, I'm cautiously wanting to begin to follow Jesus today. And maybe it's your turn to just either come forward, ask for prayer, sign your name, scan the QR code, but maybe do not walk out of here 
without knowing that God cares for you, that he sent his son Jesus down to die for you, that he sees your sin, knows your sin, and is still willing to love you where you're at. And then there's a group of people here in this room that are showing you that love. And so God, we dedicate it to you now and we love you. May we show you through the gratitude now in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.